Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you, that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. So the lectionary, this guide we use to scripture lessons and scripture readings throughout the year, has led us to this book of Exodus. If you were here last Sunday, you remember probably that we talked about chapter 1. In chapter 1 of Exodus, the narrator tells us that Joseph has died. Joseph has been the one who's brought the Israelites to Egypt and provided for them, but now he is dead, and we are told that there's a new king, a new king arose who did not know Joseph. He wanted to enslave the Israelite people, and he does so. Part of that enslavement is he orders for all the babies that are born to the Hebrew women that are boys, that they should be killed. And then in chapter 2, Moses is born. So he should have been killed, but through the cleverness of his mother and his older sister, he is saved. 
but not only saved, he ends up being raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the royal courts. Still in chapter 2, we are told that Moses grows up, and one day he is out walking, and he sees an Egyptian beating one of these Hebrew slaves. And he cannot take it any longer. He jumps into action, begins to tussle with this Egyptian fellow, and ends up killing him. He hides the body and hopes nobody notices. But when people disappear, others notice. And word gets to Pharaoh. And Moses becomes scared and decides his best course of action is to get out of town and he flees Egypt and goes to this place we are called is named Midian. When he gets there, he sees some women who are trying to get some water from one of the wells, but there are some male shepherds who are harassing them and keeping them away. Moses comes to their defense, runs the shepherds off, and allows the women to draw the water they need. He ends up marrying one of the women that were there that day, and they have a son. That's the end of chapter 2. Then we began to read in chapter 3 today. But before we look specifically at that story, I want us to think about what we have learned already about Moses, because these background stories describe why Moses is such an ideal person for God to call upon to deliver the Israelites from slavery. The first thing we might notice is that he's raised in the royal courts by Pharaoh's daughter, so he is familiar with the place God needs a voice. We also can tell from those earlier stories that he is a man of deep compassion for others and is a risk taker. He is ready to jump into action. When he sees something going on, he's ready to move. In so many situations in these early stories, we see that Moses risked his own well-being and position and place, maybe his own life, to defend someone else, to take care of someone else who's being oppressed or harassed. From that, we could also conclude that he is a man that has a keen instinct for justice. Now, in our story today, we learn something else about Moses. We learn that he has an attribute or a characteristic that many men of action who are ready to fight or fight injustice perhaps do not have. But Moses does. He has a reflective side. A reflective side. We find him in the story today on the side of a mountain He's joined Jethro, his father-in-law's business, taking care of the sheep. But the story tells us that this is a sacred place. And of course, in ancient days, hills or mountains, high places were often the places of worship or the places they considered sacred. So we're getting a little bit of a foreshadowing, knowing that's where Moses has gone with his flock even before we know what's going to happen exactly. And while Moses is taking care of the sheep on the side of this mountain, he sees a bush that is on fire. It's aflame. And yet it's not burning up. 
It's not burning up like a bush should be burning up if it were on fire. It catches Moses' attention. He turns aside, we're told, to see what's happening. He takes a moment to look closer to see what's happening. The text tells us about this key insight. It's captured in verses 3 and 4. I want you to hear them again. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Can you see how he has this other side to him besides a man of action where he's willing to pause for a moment to look to see what's happening in the midst of seeing this bush of flame he has the wherewithal to turn aside the text says to take a moment to think about what's going on and to ask why the bush is not burned up And it's that ability to stop and take a moment that empowers Moses to have this encounter with God. When he takes a moment to turn aside or to step back from the everydayness of his life to think deeply and ask some questions about his own experience, He experiences God. Did you hear that in verse 4? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. When Moses takes enough time to pay attention to what's going on in his life, he hears God calling his name. It's when he steps aside for a moment from the activity, from his work, from other things that would draw his attention. It's in that moment that he's able to hear the voice of God. Now, if he saw this spectacular bush on fire and yet not being consumed and whipped out his cell phone and went over and snapped a quick selfie and posted, look how cool this is, he would have missed it. Right? I mean, he would have captured the spectacular, but he would have missed the encounter with God. He would have missed that moment where he sensed and heard God calling his name. If he wasn't willing, if he didn't have the ability to turn aside, as the text says, then nothing happens except the fire. How often do we miss hearing God because we are too busy being consumed by the many activities or worries of our lives? I've been telling you over these last two, two and a half years that I'm participating in this Academy for Spiritual Formation where I go away for a week every quarter to have a time of retreat, 
Now, in these times, there's lots of reading to prepare, and there's professors there to speak. But there's also a good deal of time that we spend in silence, time where we're not supposed to speak to anyone unless we're speaking to God. We're to be listening for God in those times of reflection. And the whole point of the academy is to help a person seriously evaluate the rhythm of their life and to see if God's just an attachment somewhere out here or to see if God is at the core of all that we are and all that we do to make sure that we're having an ongoing conversation with God if we say God is most important. And as I've been looking at the rhythm of my own life, I thought, you know, I have this prayer time in the morning, but I need some reminders during the day to be sure to take some time to reflect and listen. So after one of those weeks in academy, I decided I would set my alarm on my phone so that it would go off four times a day. So every few hours I was reminded, are you listening for God? Are you looking for God? So I've set the alarm, but you want to know what has happened most often when the alarm goes off? My first response is, not now, God. I'm busy. I'm writing a sermon. I'm in a meeting. I'm on a phone call. Ironic, isn't it? That a pastor could be so busy working for God that he didn't have time to listen to God. But I think perhaps I'm not the only one. I think perhaps lots of us have that experience where we make the commitment to God, and yet because of the lifestyle or the rhythm of our lives, we're not really listening. We're not really paying attention. Oh, we say a prayer here and there, and that's good. But is God really at the center of the rhythm of your life? Really at the core of what you are all about I observe that it's so easy for us to get caught up in the spectacular or just weighed down by the mundane either way if that happens we miss the glorious experience of hearing God call our name we miss the experience. You miss the experience of hearing God call your name. Oh, that's what happened to Moses. The good news that's revealed in this story today is that when Moses took a moment to step aside, to turn aside, to listen, he encountered a God and he realized that this is a God who hears and responds, who hears us and responds to us. But it's not just for Moses. Oh, God does respond to Moses. But we also find that God in this story is responding to the cries of the people. Did you hear that in verse 7? Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
God is one who hears and responds. Often the response is through other people who, like Moses, are listening and ready to be utilized, ready to move into action on behalf of someone else. I've given you this invitation to use this prayer of peace, to use this prayer card over these next several weeks. Because I am convinced that having a rhythm and a regularity and a continuity to our prayer time, to a conversation with God, puts us in the right place, the right frame of mind, if you will, to be able to encounter God and to experience God coming close and calling your name, just as Moses experienced. The prayer, which is serving as the title for the sermon series, is, Lord, make me an instrument of yours. Make me an instrument of yours, O God. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, let me so pardon. In this story, the Israelites are the ones who are the injured party. They're being oppressed by a greedy king. And God hears their cry and calls Moses, who's listening and ready to respond, to go and set the people free. A pardon sets a person free. That's what's going on in the story today. But I've also been telling you about Francis, more commonly known as St. Francis, and about his life since this prayer we're using is attributed to him. I haven't told you, though, the part about when he was a teenager. He was introduced to alcohol. He began to drink. He liked a lot, so he drank more and more. He began to revel in wild parties. Before long, he's dropping out of school, breaking curfew, and rebelling against all authority. During this time, he becomes enamored with this romantic ideal of being a knight. So when a conflict breaks out near him, he buys a brand new suit of armor, gets one of the family's horses, and rides off to battle. But he has no real training as a warrior. He has no battlefield experience, so guess what happens? He is captured right off. He's thrown in an underground cave and kept as a prisoner of war. But those who capture him notice that he has this brand new suit of armor and a really nice horse, and they think, this fellow's wealthy. And so they go and figure out who his father is, and they offer him back to his dad for a certain ransom. After a year of negotiations, finally a ransom is paid, and Francis is released, but he comes home a beaten down and broken man. He has been in a dank, dark place, nearly starved to death for a year. And he is a different person now. As the story goes, he's walking down a road one day, and he sees a man who has leprosy. 
people avoid those who have leprosy in those days. Francis, in his previous life, would have turned around and gone the other way or crossed the road to avoid such a person. But he recounts that he felt compelled to go to the man. And he goes to the man and embraces him and kisses him. And he says it was a wonderfully sweet experience. Because, he says, he was able to see Christ in the man who had leprosy. And he said once he embraced and kissed the man, he experienced a freedom that he had never known before in his life. Later in the prayer that we're using there is a line that says, for it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And I think this turning point in the life of Francis was one of those kinds of experiences. I think maybe that line describes what happened in Francis' spirit. That indeed, as he felt free to embrace the other, he was set free in his own life and in his own spirit. Surely, it was not only Francis, though, that was set free, but the man who had been marginalized or ostracized, maybe even demonized because he had leprosy, was once again experiencing the embrace of another human and welcomed back in to a relationship with humanity. For Moses, he took the time to notice a bush that was on fire. For Francis, he was able to notice a man whose society had labeled as a leper. In both cases, in taking the time to pay attention, they experienced God and were empowered in a way that they had never known before. What will it be for you? As we read through our communion liturgy this morning i hope that you'll be paying attention and listening for god to speak to you i hope as you go through your life this week that you'll spend some time with your reflective side asking what is god doing in my life why is this happening and waiting for god to lead you and speak to you amen